I just was telling Tony there was no girls up here to keep us in line except for Donna, and we overpowered her. So, <laughs> Thanks for letting us go, Donna. So we are in 2 Corinthians, and uh, this is part seven of our series as we're preaching through the book tonight, and we're in chapter four, and uh, we're going to look at verses one through six, God willing. If Jesus returns in the middle of this message, I'm going to quit preaching. But... Uh, Chapter 4 here, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to jump in. Father, thank you tonight for my brothers and sisters. Thank you that we can come together in the middle of the week and just be in your presence and experience fellowship and koinonia and have you move. Holy Spirit, continue to move. Thank you for drawing us into the depths of worship and allowing us to just enjoy your presence tonight. We pray that our hearts were prepared to receive the engrafted word. And so, Holy Spirit, reveal truth to us tonight. We haven't come just to have a Bible study or to just increase our knowledge or our intellect, but we've come to meet with you. So reveal yourself to us tonight. And let each of us go home with a deposit from you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, say mercy, mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in trickery, nor distorting the word of God, but by the open proclamation of the truth, commending ourselves to every person's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, who has blinded their minds of the unbelieving so that they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants on account of Jesus. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I'm going to stop right there and get a drink. Thank you for the cover. But let's look at those six verses tonight. There's so much in there. Paul speaks about his apostolic ministry. And remember here in chapter 7, uh, He's defending his apostolic ministry because there's those in the church and specifically in Corinth that challenged his authority to teach and challenged his, you know, role as an apostle. So Paul's teaching, giving them good theology, but at the same time, he's, uh, he's defending his calling. Why? Because if the church stopped listening to Paul, who was God's chosen vessel to release all this doctrine and to bring in the Gentiles, the church would be dead in the water. Paul was a powerful instrument of God, and so he was attacked, and so there were those who tried to marginalize him, but he humbly defends himself, not for his own ego, but for the sake of the church and for the sake of Christ, and uh, his divine calling to preach the gospel to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles is established over and over again. Now, in hindsight, as we see that Paul's written two-thirds of the New Testament, there's no question about who he is and what his role is as a pillar in the early church. But in that day, there was. And so that's why you see some of the language in here and some of the things that you, you might miss, you need to pick up on because realize what Paul's doing. 
he's legitimizing the suffering that's in his life and that he's endured as a believer and as a minister of the gospel. Why? Because people said, Paul, you're too much of a hot mess to have God with you. You ever feel like that? I'm a Christian. When I wasn't a Christian, I was pretty good. I was pretty normal. I was pretty together. But then when I came to Christ, the enemy attacked me, and my flesh attacked me, and the world attacked me, and now I feel like I'm undone. And they said, Paul, you, you got too much affliction, too much trouble, too much drama in your life, and that just says to us, God's not with you. There again, he's validating and vindicating his calling for their sake because he was God's chosen vessel. Now, we love it as Christians if all there was to do in being a Christian is walk in rainbows and sunshine. Anybody? Wouldn't that be great? You know, you get saved and you never have a bad day after that. I think we'd have more people here on Wednesday night. We'd have more people who aren't taking a pass on the church, right? But the thing is, it's not all rainbows and sunshine as a Christian. There's darkness to face. There's storms to endure. There's things that, uh, you know, attack us and strip us and knock us backwards. Why? Because they have a purpose to perfect us. If we're being honest, usually the good times, the easy times, and the victories don't perfect us. It's the failures and the hardships and the, and, and the mistakes. Come on. How many would just say amen that I learned more from mistakes and from hardship? I remember when I was in school, I, I went to Catholic school in the Bronx, and I was petrified of the nuns there. I was little. They were big. They looked like refrigerators. They were just, <laughs> and man, I learned best when I was scared. You know, sometimes if you had a teacher who was your buddy, your pal, you're laughing around with it, the class would get out of control. And so, unfortunately, our human nature dictates that, you know, there is some hardship to face. Why? Because that's where our metal is tested, that's where we're proven, and that's where we grow the most. You know, now when it comes to preaching the gospel and wanting it to be all rainbows and sunshine, but knowing it's not, sometimes when we're being evangelistic, we tend to paint an unrealistic picture of what the Christian life requires, you ever hear some messages, some sermons, some, you know, happy, clappy, goosebumpy message, some hot tub Christianity, oh, come into the kingdom and you'll have a great time and it's the good ship lollipop and you're... <laughs> it's almost like false advertisement. Do you know, like, if they told you what it was going to cost and what it was going to take and how hard and uphill, you know, we laugh about the old generation says, we walk to school in the snow, uphills both ways. Sometimes that's the way the Christian life feels. Uphill, both ways, always a storm. But we don't advertise it like that when we're being evangelistic. We try to sweeten up the deal so we make converts more easily. Now, I'm, I'm all for bringing the gospel. I'm all for highlighting the great parts of being a Christian. But sometimes we need to be honest and give a balance, you know. Jesus never did that. He never tried to sweeten up the pot or avoid the difficult issues. He let people like the rich young ruler walk away from him when he, he was unwilling to pay the price. How many of us would have chased them and said, oh, let, let's, let's talk. Maybe, you know, let's start a little lower. Let's you know, maybe you can live your best life now and we can catch up with Jesus later. Jesus didn't do that. And so we need to learn something from that. 
In verse 1 here, Paul sees the ministry he was entrusted with as an act of mercy. Therefore, since we and I, Paul, have this ministry as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. So Paul realizes he's in the ministry because of mercy. He went from killing Christians and persecuting Christians to being the one who led the Gentiles into the kingdom. He went from being a persecutor to being persecuted. Eventually, they martyred him. Paul stood there and held their cloaks as they martyred Stephen. He, he was the persecutor, but God had mercy on him and flipped the script, and Paul becomes the one who lays his life down for the gospel. He saw his whole ministry as mercy. It was merciful for God to confront him on that Damascus road and knock him down. It was merciful for God to reveal himself to Saul and turn him into a Paul. It was merciful for God to forgive all his many sins against the church. Remember what Jesus said to him? He said, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. It was mercy for God to forgive him and not just save him, but call him to be an apostle, an evangelist, and a missionary. Wow. Because of all that mercy, Paul and his companions refused to be discouraged by the hardships they faced. Paul's thinking, I've been saved from much, I can endure much. I've been saved from much, I can, I can lay my life down. I, I did a lot of things that didn't deserve mercy, but God was merciful to me. So I'm going to fulfill my call, no matter what the cost. For Paul, it was the call above all. And he wouldn't shrink back, and he wouldn't quit, and he wouldn't step back even an inch. Sometimes it's good for us to remember our blessings. Sometimes it's good for us to recount the mercy of God that's been poured out in our lives. Sometimes we just need to rehearse the good things God has done for us. At any moment when, you know, we feel overwhelmed and we're considering the cost and we think, I want to quit, I want to throw in the towel because the price is too high to pay, we need to remember the mercy and the grace that saved us from a Christless eternity. Verse 2 is a loaded verse. Let's break it down. It says, we have renounced the hidden things of shame or because of shame. Now, you might think, what is he talking about here? Well, this appears to be a reference to the antics of the false prophets. See, there were those who were false prophets and false teachers, and they, uh, they trafficked in half-truths and uh, immorality and hidden things and a lack of integrity. It says, we've renounced the hidden things because of shame. So he's saying, we're not like these false uh, teachers, these false preachers who plagued the early church. They had bad theology and bad motives and bad behavior, and they were, they were hijacking the gospel for their own personal gain. Now, of course, nobody does that today. <laughs> it still happens. There's still people in the ministry for their own ego, for their own success, for their own uh, personal gain. There are still those that preach one thing and live a different lifestyle, live in immorality, but project that they're holy. Clouds without rain, the Bible calls them, amen? The false is still in operation. Paul said, we're not like them. We've renounced all that stuff. Uh, you know, we're on the up and up. We're above board. And renounce means, you know, to walk away from, turn your back on. And Paul refused to do ministry that way. He was straight up. He was honest. He was humble with a pure, God-given, Holy Ghost-driven message. 
says, not walking in trickery nor distorting the word of God. There again, more signs of the false. The gospel is not about gimmicks. Anybody still awake? Once I went to a church, and it was a big church, and I was there, and the leadership was there, and one of the, uh, it wasn't the senior pastor, but one of the pastors came to me and goes, you know what you need at your church? You need, a, you need a hook. You need a gimmick. You need something to draw people in. And I'm listening to this guy, and the Holy Spirit's going, nope, nope, <laughs> nope. All I heard, I saw his lips moving, but all I heard was nope, nope. And I'm thinking, what? Are you kidding me? We don't need gimmicks. We don't need tricks. We don't need programs. We don't need advertising. I mean, we use advertisement, and we tell people what the church has to offer, but that's not what builds the church. What builds the church is the, the Holy Spirit. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. Amen. So he's, he said, not walking in trickery, nor distorting the word of God. The church is not about gimmicks or emotionalism, or manipulation, or some sort of charismatic person with so, you know, social prominence and you know, some flashy guy who looks successful and that's what's behind the pulpit to draw people. So you know, basically a Christian Tony Robbins so I can teach you how to be successful like me. Thank God we've moved away from a lot of that stuff. Those of us who've been saved a long time know that was... That was the church for a while in the West. Thank God we've wised up and moved on. And as Paul says, not walking in trickery or distortion or distorting the word of God. So uh, tricks and distortions have no place in the ministry. The only thing, we need to preach the truth of the gospel in its simplicity. Amen. We don't need to jazz it up or sugar it up or gimmick it up. Just the gospel. Because why? It, it's the power of God unto salvation. Amen. So we continue here in verse 2, but by the open proclamation of the truth, there it is, commending ourselves to every person's conscience in the sight of God. The gospel is powerful all by itself. All we need to do is deliver it, and we need to deliver it in its simplicity. We don't need to make it complicated. Do you know so the gospel? Jesus died. He rose again on the third day. He's alive forevermore. And whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, you'll be saved. That's simple, right? We don't need to muddy it up. We don't need to add things to it. We don't need to put our denominational spin on it. We don't need to, you know, add. No but by the open proclamation of the truth. I love that. What happens when you just openly proclaim the simplicity of the gospel and the truth of the gospel? Commending ourselves to every person's conscience. You see, we are doing the work of the kingdom, the work of the ministry when we give the gospel in its simplicity. Why? Because it has the power to convict the lost commending ourselves to everyone's conscience. You know, people say a lot of things that fall to the ground and people walk away and they're, they're not touched, they're not convicted, they're not motivated. But listen, when we speak the word of God in simplicity, people are gonna walk away chewing on what we said, thinking about what we said, tossing and turning at night, wrestling with the conviction that the word and the truth brought to their lives. Don't you want your words to have power? Don't you want your life to have impact? Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> it's a little acronym there that 
people use in a lot of venues, but it's good for Christians too. So no pretense, no distortion, just the simple truth, and it'll convict sinners' hearts. Verses 3 and 4 point out a possible reason why the gospel doesn't have much of an effect on certain individuals. Listen to this. Even if our gospel is veiled, say veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God, little g, of this world, world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Let's take a look at those two verses there. It's pointing out the reason why, you know, you could preach to some people and they're like a sponge and they soak it right up, they get it right away, they're excited, and they say, I, I want to accept Jesus. How many have enjoyed situations like that, right? And then there's other people, you know, you could preach to your blue in the face, you could give them all the theology, you could give them the best illustrations, you could uh, preach the, you know, a theological masterpiece to them, and they're just like, uh-uh, nope, don't want it, ain't interested. You know, those people that are just ripe and ready and just, uh, you know, receive just the simplicity of the gospel, they're, they're what we call in Christianity low-hanging fruit. And they're just ripe and ready. You know, if you've ever been around a fruit tree and the, and the fruit's real ripe, whether it's a peach or an apple, if you just put your hand under it and touch it and it's ripe, it falls off in your hand. Man, those are the kind of people I like to bring the gospel to, amen? And then there's some that you've got to saw the branch off to get the fruit off the tree. So there are others that no matter how persuasive or how skillful you present the gospel in its simplicity, they won't believe. And verse 3 gives us the reason why those people are so hard and spiritually blind in unbelief. It's, it says here, and even if our gospel is veiled, there it is, veiled. It's veiled to those who are perishing. Now, that word veil, uh, we understand that word because we know brides wear veils. How many have been to a wedding and you see the bride? She's all beautiful. She coming down the aisle. She's got a veil on her face. Anyone ever been to a wedding? Anyone seen pictures? Okay. So we, we, we get that word veil. We understand it. You know, and it says that the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. What's the purpose of a veil? A veil covers something. It obscures something from plain sight. Now, a bride wears a veil to cover herself up from the groom and the wedding guests and make that moment where she's unveiled before the groom and the guests and God a really exciting moment. That's what it is. It's like, you know, there, there should be like, the veil comes up, ta-da. So the veil was to cover, to obscure. Now, unbelievers in their stubbornness are veiled. What? The gospel is covered to them. It's obscured to them. They can't see the good news that's in plain view. So they'll never be able to accept the truth. Why? Because they're veiled and they're, the gospel is obscured to them by their stubbornness and unbelief. That's why some people are harder, you know, to reach than others because the person who doesn't have the veil on and doesn't have a hard heart and doesn't have an attitude uh, towards the gospel and doesn't have an agenda, they just need to see the truth and they'll respond to it. But it's that veil. If you're preaching to people, if you're trying to reach family members, neighbors, coworkers, and you're not getting through, pray that God unveils and opens their eyes, that they would be able to see the truth. Notice that unbelief is a fatal condition. Look what it says here. The gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. 
Unbelief is not just a cute little thing. It's not just a difference of opinion. It's not just, well, you know, uh, to each his own. No, when, when we are, uh, you know, unbelieving and stubborn and resistant to the things of God, it's a sign that we're perishing, we're dying. And this is what we've got to see about people who, you know, are resisting the gospel. It's, you know, not that they're just trying to be difficult. They, they just can't see because they're spiritually blind and it's killing them. And we need to have compassion for them. Amen. All right, verse four. In whose case the God of this world who has blinded their minds of the unbelieving so that they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So in verse four, Paul tells exactly who's behind the spiritual blindness that plagues the unbeliever. It's 100% the devil, the enemy of our soul. Paul refers to him here as the God of this world. And I made an emphasis, little g. He's the little G. He's not God. He's just a, a falsehood. He's a, he, he's a knockoff. He's, you know, he's like the watch you get on Delancey Street. He's not real. So he's the God of this world, though. Now, the devil snares unbelievers by attacking and clouding their minds. Do you see that? Uh, who, who, the God of this world has what blinded the minds of the unbelieving. I want you to get this here. The devil keeps the lost in darkness by just confusing their minds. Do you ever talk to an unbeliever who didn't want to believe and they can come up with the wildest, craziest excuses and interpretations of Scripture? They'll pull a Scripture out of the Old Testament, some obscure thing out of Leviticus and have a giant opinion on it and this is why I don't want to serve God. And you're like, what is, what is wrong with you? Their minds are twisted. Because the enemy's twisted it, and he's deceived them, amen? That's why, you know, these situations, we need to get on our knees and pray. Prayer breaks the deception. Prayer breaks down the walls. Prayer strips away the veil so that truth can be seen, amen? I think there's a lot of people who are not yet in the kingdom because the people of God are not praying enough. We're busy doing everything else. You know... If we had to write down a little card with our name on it, how many hours we spent praying for the lost this week, and then we would put them up on the overhead. See, that's where, oh, we're going to be embarrassed. But the enemy keeps the lost in the dark and he confuses their minds so they will not see the light of the gospel. That's what it is. They can't see the light because they're in the dark and they refuse to see the light because they like that veil that's over their eyes. Uh, verse 5 is a great reminder to every Christian, every minister, and every ministry. Listen to what verse 5 says here. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants on account of Jesus. So this is a great reminder to all of us. You know, it's not about preaching ourselves or the advancement of self. There's honestly zero room in Christianity and zero room in the ministry for self-promotion. I got to tell you something. Our, the church these days and it's always been like this but i think in the laodicean period of the church it's it's the worst i've ever seen there are so many self-promoters in the church it's really obnoxious and there's really zero room for that in the ministry 
We're not to promote ourselves. We're not to promote, you know, uh, if a believer preaches a, a sermon or starts a ministry or does a teaching or writes a book or uses a spiritual gift so that they can get noticed and they can elevate themselves, their motive is 100% wrong, period. It's wrong. Self-promoters. People say, do this and do that and do a commercial. And people have told me, write a book and do this. God didn't tell me to do that. Why am I going to do that? To promote myself? That's a wrong attitude. I'm not going to waste my time and energy doing that. Yet there, there are multitudes who are willing to do that. And really, it's an offense to God. Why? Because that's not what we're trying to do here. We do not preach ourselves. Uh, uh, if, if a... You know, it's not that we need these charismatic personalities and, you know, what we promote is, you know, these, these names and these ministries. And no, we're not promoting ministries and charismatic preachers. We're promoting Christ. We're not promoting a denomination or trying to advance a denomination. We're, we're advancing Christ. Yet, you know, the denominationalism in the Western church, I mean, it's all about self-promotion. It's all about competition, don't go to that church, come to our church. Don't go to that church, come to this church. We got better this, we got better that. We got better, better programs. We got better music. We got better preaching. You're dead out there Wednesday night. Come on. You're like, oh, he's killing us tonight. But that's not what we're promoting. That's not what we're trying to advance. You know, the church has made idols out of ministers. Idols out of pastors and evangelists and idols out of musicians. You know, we got Christian celebrities. That's not what we're trying to advance. We're trying to advance the gospel. We're trying to lift up Jesus, amen. As musicians, we look at most of the songwriting that's coming out in the church is all about I and self and me. We struggle to find music that just wants to glorify God. In fact, every song that any of our worship leaders do here comes through me, and I listen to it to see if the theology is right and if the heart is right behind it. And I've had to toss some out. Because, you know, some of these entire groups are just ungodly. It's like they're just not producing godliness. And so we're not singing their ungodliness. We're not singing bad theology, amen. Pray for our musicians. Pray for our leaders. I've been encouraging them to write their own music that's pure, and that's for our church here. So pray about that for us. You know, there are church denominations that promote themselves so hard to the point of exclusivity that, you know, unless you're in our church, you're, you're really less than. And uh, I had a friend who was uh, a pastor out in the Midwest somewheres, and he, he told me a story about being out there. He said, you know, he was a charismatic guy, graduated from Elam, friend of mine. He said, our church out here to the Baptists, we're devils because we speak in tongues. And he said, they, they won't even fellowship with us. They're like, we don't want anything to do with you charismatics because, you know, you believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, so you're the devil. So he said, to the Baptists, we're the devil. And the AG, the Assemblies of God was big out there. So if you were in Assemblies of God, you were like, you, you were worse than a dog. So he said, to the Baptists, we're devils, and to the Assemblies, we're dogs. So we call our church the Devil Dog Church. <laughs> Gucci, you need to laugh a little bit. Come on. Could you imagine? I mean, like, these are supposed to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
and, and they're like, they're in competition with each other. They're, they're promoting their brand. And he had, a, he had a pastor at the Devil Dog Church. <laughs> he has since moved, and I don't know what's going on with where he's pastoring now, but I don't hear anything about devil dogs anymore. And I, I tell that story just to say, you know, we, we can't promote anything but Christ. Amen. Listen, I don't... I don't care about what you believe about revelation or if you speak in tongues or if you're pro-trib or mid-trib or pan. Listen, if you love Jesus, if you're born again, if your name is in the Lamb's book of life, you're my brother, you're my sister, amen, and you're part of the family of God. We have to just boil it down to that and everything else has to go. So the final word for self-promoters is that we're bond servants. And bond servants always showcase and spotlight and elevate their master, not themselves. See, what's wrong with self-promoters is they're promoting themselves and they should be promoting Jesus. They're not serving the kingdom, they're serving themselves and they have their reward. But we're bond servants. And a bond servant doesn't do his own thing or, you know, elevate himself. No, he does everything. He lays his life down to do his master's will and to elevate the master. And that's what we have to remember. We are bondservants. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants on account of it. So Paul saw himself as a bondservant to the church because he was a bondservant to Christ. So, you know, there's this whole idea of the humility of that allowing us to not promote ourselves, but to promote the things of the kingdom in a way that produces healthy fruit. Amen. Verse 6, we're chugging our way through here. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So let's unpack that a little bit as we conclude here. You know, it's God who brings light out of darkness. And, you know, why, why can God bring light out of darkness? Because he is the light. When he shows up, there's light, amen. And so more, more important than anything else, we need God to show up in the dark places of our lives. We need God to show up in the dark places of our homes, of our marriages, of our communities, amen. Why? Because he brings the light and he shines the light in the darkness and that's the way we get out of the dark, amen. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, the devil described as one who tries to hijack the light. Listen to this. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You see this, how the enemy, he comes, what? He doesn't come, ooh, I'm the devil, you know, and he's, and he's ugly and he's mean and he's got horns and a pitchfork. That's a caricature. He comes as an angel of light. Why? Because he's an imposter. He's a counterfeit. He tries to counterfeit and imposter everything that has to do with God because he wants to be God. And you're going to see that play out in the book of Revelation as the Antichrist comes and establishes the unholy trinity with, you know, the false prophet and the beast. And, you know, and, and he tries to elevate himself and be like God. And it's just, you know, chaos ensues and all of these things. But the, the devil doesn't come like we would picture the devil. He comes as an angel of light and he disguises himself. Now... Why does he do that? He wants to appear that he has light, but there's no light in him. 
we need to be able to spot spiritual counterfeits. We need to be able to discern spiritual imposters. We need to be able to discern when something's not right and not true. So many Christians are so ignorant and spiritually inept that they fall for the worst of lies. I don't want to start riffing on, um, you know, what that stuff entails, but, you know, Christians can't even agree on abortion or on same-sex marriage or on gender. That's the world we live in, where there are churches that are preaching that immoral lifestyles are okay, it's fine. Where they're preaching that abortion is, is fine. It's not a person. It's just a clump of cells. And, you know, until a child's born, it's not a child. And there's stuff that's being taught from pulpits in Christian churches. That's darkness. And why do people sit there and, and, and drink that in? They're veiled. And they're blind. And they're being deceived. Narrow is the road and straight is the path. And few there be that find it. The broad way the, that leads to destruction, boy, I'll tell you, it's, it, it's a path that too many are going down. So everything the darkness offers is a counterfeit. And, you know, I, I mentioned that, uh, I mentioned Delancey Street. How many know, like, when you get, like, knockoff stuff, it looks sort of like the real stuff? Anybody, you know what I'm talking about down there? You go, you go down and you get a Wolex, not a Rolex. You know, if you look at it close, it's a Wolex, you know. And it, it looks like that, you know, it looks like it. But then when people look at it, they're like, that's a knockoff. Or you got that fake Louis Vuitton luggage or something, you know, the Gucci belt and it's spelled wrong. <laughs> Knockoffs. That's what the enemy is, Amen. You know, I, I would never, you know, and you and I have to have, you know, we, we should never want to wear a knockoff. It, it's shallow. It's empty. And that, that's the thing. We, we need to be able to spot spiritual counterfeits. We need to be able to spot things that are distorted and in the darkness. And we need to, you know, just stay away from all that. So only our God can bring the light into the dark because he is the light. Now, I want to close with this to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, while the God of this world is doing his best to blind, confuse, and deceive all of humanity, our God is shining the light of Christ into the hearts of sinful men so that they can be saved. And do you know what his number one mechanism he uses to shine the light? It's his church. And that's you and I. So as we close tonight... Uh, let your light shine. Let your light shine, amen? And develop your discernment and develop your spiritual, uh, you know, wisdom that you're able to spot a knockoff. And pray about those people that you love that are lost, that have veils over their eyes. Because let me tell you something, prayer is the only thing. Not everybody's low-hanging fruit. Some people are tough nuts, Amen. And you know what? The only thing that breaks a tough nut is prayer. So let, let's be busy about the Father's business and be praying for the lost so that the light of Jesus Christ can open their eyes, amen, and they can be saved. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you for the scripture. I thank you for these people here tonight, Lord, that have come to enjoy your word on a Wednesday night here. I pray that you have blessed them and have filled them and given them a deposit that they can take home with them tonight. 
Lord, we, we want to be able to spot the counterfeits and we want to be able to spot the work of the enemy. Even though he's an angel of light, Lord, we can see the work and the fruit of darkness, Lord. It's, it's evident. But give your people wisdom, Lord. And I pray for the churches that are preaching a, a counter gospel, that are preaching a false gospel. I pray for those who are self-promoters and not kingdom people. Father, I pray that you would break them and cause them to repent or that you would remove them so that they wouldn't plague the body of Christ. We ask you to move and to use us as you do. In Jesus' name, amen.